take your Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. Thank you for your excellent singing. And as we are turning to Judges chapter 3, I'm just going to say a word of prayer. God, we are thankful we can be here. Lord, as we just sang, Lord, it's we're here to worship your holy name. And we come before you and we, we put this, this word of God in front of us and we preach these words. Lord, I'm, I'm humbled that you would choose me. I don't, I don't feel worthy, but yet you have empowered me through your Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray that you help us as we go into this text, small as it is, Lord. You placed it in here for a reason. And Lord, I pray that you help me to share the words the way that I should. And I pray, Lord, that you help those that are hearing to hear them in a way that impacts their lives. Lord, I just pray you'll just give us a great time now in your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Judges chapter 3, we're going to continue our series on the book of Judges. And we come to Judges chapter 3 and verse 31. Last week we did... Ehud, you remember that was the uh, odd, peculiar one. Um, I was said to someone afterwards, or someone said to me, there's a lot of odd and peculiar in Judges. I said, yes, there is, and God put it in there for a reason. I also had someone come up to me after the service last week and said, they said, you spent approximately 30 minutes on, on a passage this week that has uh, 20-some verses, and next week's passage has one verse, so I assume it will be a very short message. You assume wrong. But we are going to look into the Word of God and see what we can learn from this short passage. Finish this statement, if you will, and some of you will know this right away. Listen, my children, and you will hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. Good job. Excellent. You all did well in class when you were a kid. That is the poem that is uh, written by Henry, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. But in actuality, if you go back and and look, you will see that Paul Revere was not alone that day. He was accompanied by three others that also made rides through the dark. Their names were William Dawes, Samuel Prescott, and Israel Bazell. In fact, Revere's ride was actually one of the shortest and least successful of all four. You see, that night, these four men rode out, and Paul Revere got captured. And so because of that, his name was spread. Dawes and Prescott did more riding, and they went longer, and Prescott actually was soon killed after after his ride. But all of them pale in comparison to the fourth guy, Israel Bazell. No one knows really much about him, but Israel Bazell went out on that day on his horse, April 19th, 1775, to warn that the British were coming. He, the, the history tells us that he rode for four days straight. In the process, as he was going, he would continue to go through town after town after town, yelling, to arms, to arms, the war has begun. He rode from uh, Watertown, 
Massachusetts, through Connecticut, through small town after small town, down through New York, over into New Jersey, then into Pennsylvania, where he finally stopped in Philadelphia. In those four days, he ran, rode excuse me, 345 miles. It was such a strenuous ride that actually about halfway through the ride, he had to stop and get a new horse because his, he ran his horse to death. And he went time and time again. It's unknown how many people he actually was able to warn of the impending attacks, but uh, he made stops uh, numerous places to tell them about it. He went along what was called the Old, old Post Road. I grew up in Connecticut, so I know exactly where the Old Post Road was. It goes through uh, the state of Connecticut. When he reached Philadelphia, a crowd had gathered, and he was able to tell 8,000 people of what was taking place. When word was officially out, the story says that Bazell took a nap. He had gone four days without sleeping. And then he got up from his nap and he returned to Connecticut that next day to begin fighting with his brothers in Connecticut. He lived throughout the war and died in 1823, which is good because he didn't have to hear the poem that was talked all about Paul Revere because that was written in 1863. You know, the Bible is filled with tales of obscure people just like Israel Bazel. People who appear in the Bible just for a moment and then disappear, and we rarely talk about them. And they, we don't, many times we don't even know their names, or we don't, we don't even know everything about them, but, but they're there for a purpose. They step out of the shadows, and they're used by God in a mighty way, and then they fade away, most of them never being mentioned again. We look at the Scripture and we see guys like, if you look at 2 Samuel 23.8, a guy by the name of Joshab. He was one of David's mighty men and the Bible tells us that he killed 800 men with a spear. We go in the similar passage, we see a guy by the name of Eliezer and he was one of David's mighty men. You maybe have heard of him. His name's a little bit more well known. And he stood boldly in the day of battle and fought for hours upon hours and killed Philistine after Philistine after Philistine. And it said he got to the end of the battle and his hands were so tight on the sword that they had to, they had to pry them off. We think of people who weren't even warriors, like the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17 who, who fed the prophet Elijah and, and sheltered him during a famine. We think of the Israelite maid who told Naaman about the man of God and went and because of her he was healed from his leprosy. We think about the boy when he came and met Jesus and Jesus took his lunch and fed 5,000 people. We think about a guy by the name of Joseph of Arimathea and all we know about him was he was the one that buried Christ in his grave. List could go on and on and on. And I think that it seems that God chooses to use those who are unknown and obscure to accomplish His, His, His work in this world. The passage before us today is no exception. We're introduced to a man by the name of Shamgar. And Shamgar is unknown. He, he appears only twice in, in all of Scripture. Here in this passage we're going to look at, and then if you look over in Judges chapter 5 and verse 6, uh, Deborah is, is, is singing and saying praises to God, and she mentions Shamgar. Those are the only mentions of this guy in Scripture. But the little information we have about him reveals that he was a man that was used by God in a great way. 
And I want to make three observations about this man and, and tie them to our lives. But first, I want to read the passage to you. If you look at Judges chapter 3 and verse 31. After him, that's a reference to Ehud, was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also saved Israel. Look at three aspects about this story, and you say, how are you getting three out of that? You'll see. When we look at that, first of all, we see that he was disciplined to work. The name Shamgar means sword, and it appears that he was the sword in the hand of God, that God used to destroy the Israelites. Remember, as we said, over and over again through the book of Judges, there would be, uh, the Israelites would, would go away from God, and, and, and they, would, they would be taken into slavery, and then they would come and they would plead with God, God, please save us from slavery. And so God would send a judge, and this judge would rule over them, and, and through some usually miraculous way would free them from their slavery, and, and they would have a period of peace. What's interesting is this story is a little different. It doesn't say those same events. It doesn't say that they went into sin, although I believe they do because that's their common pattern. And it doesn't say that there was a period of peace. We'll get into some of that later. But Shamgar was uh, uh, simply a guy who was there at the time. He was a guy who was in the place that he was supposed to be at the time he was supposed to be to do the word, the will of God that God wanted him to do. But who was Shamgar. Shamgar was a farmer. How do we know that? The Bible tells us that he did his, his fighting with an ox goad. What's an ox goad? It's not a weapon. An ox goad is an uh, agricultural tool. It's something that farmers would have. It was, uh, what, what was thought to be an ox goat at that time was a, a long pole, probably about 8 to 10 feet long. It was something he would carry around. It was about 2 inches in diameter, and one end of it had an a, a iron point at, on the tip. And the purpose of this was if they were, he was plowing his field and you know, an animal in front of him that was helping him plow, the oxen got a little lazy or got sidetracked, he would take that point and he would poke them. I think they would get the idea. That seemed to work better than talking to them or, or using something else, and so he would poke them. The other end of that long uh, pole would have been a, uh, like a spade, almost like a shovel, but a little sharper on the end. And that blade was used to, as he was going along, maybe the blades that he was using to turn up the ground would get clogged with dirt or roots or, or some other impediment. He would reach in with that spade shovel and he would, he would knock at it until it was gone. So we know this guy, what does he have when he begins fighting these Philistines? He has what he has all the time, and that's his ox goat. He was a hard worker. What else do we know about the time that this has taken place? It was a very difficult time for the people of Israel. Uh, we see if we continue reading in chapters 4 and 5, which we'll look at in the next couple of weeks, but we see that, uh, uh, that again, they're, go- they're facing problems. As I said, unlike previous ones, it does not mention the fact that there's rest or there's peace or anything like that. And so I believe here Shamgar was just uh, in the midst of the fight that continued on beyond him. And he uh, delivered them, but yet it continued on. So what took place after this? We see after this that uh, uh, if we study it, we see the verses tell us that there was a king that came along that oppressed them. And we'll look at this next week, a king by the name of Jabin. And Jabin was a, the king of the Canaanites. He was a powerful king. In fact, if you look at Judges chapter 4 and verse 3, what does it tell us there? It says uh, that he had 900 chariots of iron. 
This is an impressive army. This is a guy that had a lot, and, and, uh, and the army was, was totally unbeatable. No one in the area could conquer him, and, and because of that, he was causing, just, uh, causing terror throughout the area. And as was normal in that time, he probably would not allow the Israelites to do what they wanted to do. In fact, if you read through what, what Deborah said later, it's, it's, it probably was he began taking away their weapons. And so an ox goad might have been all that was available. And so they find themselves in this time of difficulty, and if you look at Scripture, it says they were filled with fear. They were afraid to travel the highways because of the oppressors. They were tr- afraid to live in their homes because they would be invaded and attacked and stole from. It seemed that they were oppressed by Can- the Canaanites, but I believe that also what was happening at the same time is if you study the history of the book, you'll see that uh, many times what would happen is the Philistines also would come in. I don't know if the Philistines maybe were, were you know, taking advantage of a weak country and the Canaanites had them under suppression and, and the Philistines would come in and, and be involved. But we see here he's being attacked by the Philistines. We see the Philistines pop, pop up again over and over again throughout the book and, and so that's who he's dealing with here. But what we see from this story is that, that Shamgar was faithfully doing what God wanted him to do. He was a farmer. I think one of the key lessons we can learn and why I said that you need to be disciplined to work is because one of the key lessons we can learn from Shamgar is that God tends to use people who are already busy. When he called Shamgar, Shamgar was a man who was already doing something. He wasn't sitting around just, you know, doing nothing. He was, he was doing what God wanted him to do. He was actively working to care for his family and the needs of, uh, of his family and feeding them and probably others around him. When the enemy came, God chose to use Shamgar because Shamgar was already active and he already had the tool needed to get the job done. You know, God does not use lazy people today. God does not use lazy people to do great things. When he looks at the church and he places his hand on people to use them, he always chooses those who are already actively engaged in the work. Already actively engaged in serving him. We see in the, uh, the Bible a couple verses. First of all, we see in, in Ephesians, it says that we are his workmanship. That God uh, has given us a task to do and we are his workers. I mentioned this verse in Sunday school class I'm teaching right now, the teen boys, and we were talking about the discipline of work, that God has given us work. God wants us to be be working, and we see here Shamgar was a guy that was doing that. He was working. And so he was ready when God said, it's your time. We see another passage in James chapter 2, verse 18. And for some, this has been a controversial passage throughout the years, but I don't think there's a whole lot of controversy to me personally. Notice what it says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And some have said that this is a work salvation and I don't believe that's what's talking about here. What James is saying is this, and he, he makes it very clear in this statement. He says, you know, you can, you can say you have faith and do nothing. I don't think that's faith. I don't think that's really faith because what he's saying is this, is I am going to prove to you I have faith because I'm going to work. And Shamgar was one that said, I'm not going to sit around doing nothing. I am going to work. But I think many times as Christians, we get caught up in that, okay, I'm waiting for God to tell me to do something instead of just going out and doing it. 
instead of going out and being involved. And as we are faithful to, to work in the small task God assigns us, he will open up to us larger and more important avenues of service. I, I remember when I was uh, in college and I would go home to my home church in the summers and, and, and I had other kids who were around me who were college students who were training for ministry and uh, training to be pastors and youth pastors. And, and the church would come to them and say, hey, can you, can you do this, a small little task in the summer? And, oh, no, I can't. I can't. And I remember thinking, you know what? You're not going to be ready to do the big task when God asks you to do it. You're not going to be ready. God has, has asked us, do those little things, and when I call you to do the big things, you'll be ready. You'll be ready. The day we live in is a hard one for the servants of the Lord. It's a hard one. It seems that our, our government and the society around us is growing in their hatred for the Lord and His work. And I believe there's going to come a time soon that we're going to have to stand up as people of God and actually stand for what we believe. I think many Christians aren't going to be ready because they haven't been actively serving God. And it seems that the world around us, their, their hearts are becoming more and more hard against the message of the gospel and against uh, what God is doing. And it's a hard day today to raise families. It's a hard day to be in ministry. It's a hard day to serve God. However, these are the days that God has chosen us to live and work. And I challenge you to do the best where you are. Be disciplined to work in what God has given you. And, and all of you here, God has given you a task to do. Be, be disciplined, be serious about it, and say, I'm going to serve here, and I'm going to do what God wants you to do. And I challenge you to do the best you can where God has placed you. Serve the Lord in your home, in your Sunday school class, in your choir, in your youth group, in your uh, growth group, in, in raising your families. Wherever God has placed you, do it the best way you possibly can. And God is taking note. And God is taking note of, of shamgars, people whose name might not be announced throughout the world, but are ready to serve. People are standing there saying, God, I'm working for you now. When you've got something bigger, I'm ready. I challenge you to be working. But secondly, I want you to notice from the story of Shamgar, be determined to battle. If you notice in the passage, it says Shamgar, and it says uh, next, the son of Anath. Now, a lot of times, because you guys have read the Bible too, a lot of times you read through the Bible and you see a name and you say, son of, and most of the time you go, that's nice, and keep moving on. Okay, yeah, because all of us are sons of someone or daughters of someone. And so we think, I don't know Anath, and I don't have uh, any clue who that is, and so we move on. And, and that's probably true. And this, I believe, is not norm in here the way we would normally see son of someone. Now, who is Anath? And as I began studying, I thought it was interesting because no reference I saw said it was, uh, that Anath was probably his dad. Why? Because Anath was a name that most of them would have understood. There's, there's a couple uses of the name Anath in, in, uh, in, during that time period. First of all, Anath was a city. 
a city uh, from in the tribe of Benjamin. We talked about last week Benjamin. It was a city in the tribe of Benjamin. So there's a belief that maybe he was from this city, but that's probably not what this is. The second reason or second na- time this name is used, Anath was also the name of a Canaanite goddess of war. And that was very common. That's, that's why it probably is not his dad's name because you probably wouldn't name your kid after Canaanite goddess of war. But it was probably the reason that this is placed in here. It could be a couple reasons. I read one commentary that was saying it's possible that, that Shamgar was, was one who was involved in this, this false worship and, and God got a hold of his heart and he changed. And, and maybe that's true. But uh, also, uh, I found that many uh, commentators said that Anath became synonymous with a warrior. Because it was a Canaanite god of war, so many times it would become almost like a nickname. And so the belief is that's probably the case, and I, and I think that's a good explanation here that this guy was, was known as that, a warrior. I said just a little bit ago the Israelites were being oppressed by the Canaanites under King uh, Jabin and his powerful army. And Jabin had disarmed them and made them weak militarily. And they were in no position to defend themselves. And, and this provided the opportunity when they were in no position to defend themselves for the Philistines to come in. Who were the Philistines? The Philistines were a group of people that lived along the Mediterranean Sea and they were a very warlike people. And you, you've heard their names before. You've heard you know, the story of you know, David and Goliath. That was the Philistines. You've heard others and we'll get into some more as we go through the book of Judges. They're, they were constantly in war, whoever it could be with. And they would invade Israel and they would take uh, slaves and they would uh, steal crops and they would destroy villages and then they would go back to their own land. When the Philistines came, most of the people of Israel would just flee. But not Shamgar. Shamgar said, enough is enough and I'm done. When the Philistines came in, the Bible tells us he stood his ground and he fought. He didn't have a weapon of war. Maybe he used to, but it was taken away. So he took all he had with him, what he, what he used on a daily basis to get those oxen going, and, and he took that with him. And I'm sure that it was an interesting tool to use. And uh, he replaced what would have been a spear with this point at the end. And, and he would use the other side, as I said, the other side was a spade, but it would have been sharp on one end. And he could have used it almost like an axe and, and using the pole itself would have been uh, you know, a way to stop the, the other weapons that were coming his way. And he took what he had to secure victory. And over the course of time, the Bible doesn't tell us if this happened at one time or if this happened over a period of time, but over a course of time, however long it was, he killed 600 Philistine raiders. Using that heavy ox goad would have been a very physical, uh, daunting task. And so he probably was a very physically fit guy. But this wasn't about mere power. This was about something more than that. Because I believe this was about God working in his life. He was empowered by God to do this. And there can be no doubt that the Spirit of God enabled him to stand and fight. And Shamgar stood his ground while others ran away because he knew that there were things worth fighting for. He knew that it was worth standing up. He fought for his home. He fought for his family. He fought for his freedom. He fought for his land. He was fighting to worship, for the right to worship God. He was a physical and spiritual powerhouse. He was a fighter who was used in a mighty way by God. And I remind you that we're not called just to be workers 
we're also called to be warriors for God. When God saves us, saved us, he enlisted us into his army. We see the, the spiritual warfare metaphor throughout all of Scripture. And I believe today uh, we are in a battle. And I believe many times as Christians we've got caught up in the wrong fight. Oh, we'll fight our political viewpoints. But are we, are, are we ready to fight for the cause of Christ? In Galatians chapter uh, 5, verse 17, it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. First of all, we're in a fight in our own lives to fight against our flesh. Because you know what our flesh wants to do? What the rest of the people here did, and that is hide. But our spirit needs to stand up like Shamgar and say, I'm, I'm going to fight. And Today we're in a war. We're in a war with Satan like the Canaanites. They, they, that he wants to oppress us. We're in a war with the Philistines just like them that they want to invade us and they want to take everything we value. We're at war. We need to understand that there are things worth fighting for, some things that we need to cry out and stand our guard. And as Christians, we need to do that. And I believe that that, that need is going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. Stand up for what we believe and we, what we need to fight for. What are some things we need to fight for? I have these in your notes there. First of all, we need to fight for your home. This is especially on you as dads and husbands. Fight for your home. Fight for your marriage. Fight right now. As, as husbands and as wives, fight to keep your marriage going for the glory of God. Because you know what? What, God, what Satan wants more than anything? To destroy our families. Satan wants to have uh, marriages break up because you know what? Then he's one. Fight for your marriages. Do whatever it takes. Swallow that pride that you have because you know what? We're all full of it. And I mess up many times as a husband and I have to confess to my wife, I messed up. You know, sometimes though, we don't want to, do we? We need to fight for that. Fight for our children. Do whatever it takes to, to raise your children to love God and to serve God and to obey God. And you know what? You might do that and you might still see them go the wrong way, but still continue to fight for them. Even when they go the wrong way, fight for them because it's something worth dying for. And there is no sacrifice too great, no price too high for those whom God has placed in our care. I think there's too many homes where you've given up the fight. And maybe you're here this morning and you've given up the fight. Maybe it's in your marriage. You've said, you know what, I've tried and I've tried and I can't do it anymore. I'm sick of trying. Keep fighting. It's worth it. Maybe you're here and you're, you're tired of fighting your kids. You're tired of doing all that. Keep fighting for the glory of God. To protect our family from the world and from Satan. But secondly, we need to fight for the church. The world wants to slip in and take away the things we value as a church. The world and Satan wants to get us to divide over things that don't matter. Instead of taking a stand on the Word of God and taking a stand on, on, on the will of God. 
But we need to be people who are going to fight. I had an opportunity this week to go to a a conference, uh, and Lance's were able to go with me down in Lafayette, and uh, I go to it every year, the last few years, on counseling, and I talked to an individual who uh, told me, he said, he lives in a large city, and he said in this large city, he said, I've been having a hard time finding a church that still preaches the Bible. I said, what do you mean? He said, a lot of times these guys will get up and they just... They'll just spend the whole time giving their opinion. But not taking the Bible and going through the Bible verse by verse and and chapter by chapter and sharing the Word of God. And he said to me, he goes, I'm just, I don't know where else to turn. And I'm just amazed by that. As we've allowed uh, our doctrines to slip, we've allowed our separation to slip, and all under the attack of Satan and the world. And, and, the, and, and when we do that, the, the, the Bible becomes null and void. And I am thankful for this church. And I say that because I think as a church that we have stood strong on the, on the teachings of the Word of God. We have stood strong on what, what is important in the Word of God. And I believe that we are, are still standing strong. But we as a church need to continue doing that. And I say this to to my deacons. We need to be as deacons. You guys need to be strong. Standing for the faith. Standing for what we believe in. Not squabbling over little minor details that aren't scriptural truths, but fighting for what matters. Every day the world makes inroads into churches in our country. We must be be willing to fight and die for the things we believe are right. I think we spend a lot of time fighting the wrong battle. We need to fight for what matters. And thirdly, we need to fight for the lost. The lost are people who don't know God and for the most part don't care about God. And they need someone to stand in the gap and tell them about Christ. And as Christians, what that means for us is we need to share with them the love of Christ. As Christians, that means we need to stop being shocked when unsaved people sin. But instead, love them and tell them the word of God. Uh, if you weren't um, here, a few weeks ago I was reading a passage in Corinthians that says, where Paul says, it is my responsibility to judge those who are within and not those who are without. Why did Paul say that? Paul's point in that was this. As Christians, we are supposed to stand up and point out when, when other Christians are sinning. But as Christians, we are not... It's not our job to go in the world to judge them. It's our job to go in the world and share the gospel. We need to fight for the lost. They they are people uh, that we need to pray for. We need to tell about Jesus. We need to share with them. You know, you walk in somewhere and you see someone and you go, man, man, look at that person. Look at all the problems they have. And you list all the things wrong with them. Instead of listing all the things wrong with them, share with them the love of Christ. 
Someone need, fought for you at one point. Someone stood up for you at one point. And maybe it was a mom, maybe it was a dad, maybe it was a neighbor, maybe it was a friend, whoever it was. Someone stood up and said, I'm going to fight for this person and we need to do the same. And if we can't think of anyone else, Jesus Christ uh, certainly did that for us. The least we can do is stand and fight for others. And Shamgar was willing to stand and fight. Thirdly, I want to show that he was destined to win. He was destined to win. The Bible tells us in that passage that, that Shamgar, at the very end of the verse, it says he saved Israel. His courage freed the people around them and allowed them to live in freedom. Whether it was for a long time or a short time, the Bible doesn't tell us, but it made a difference in the lives of those he fought for. And we are fighting for things that truly matter. And it may seem at times there's, there's not a lot of victory going on. And maybe at times it seems like things are not going the way you hoped they would. But in spite of that, the fight is still worthwhile and it must continue. And we need to be willing to fight the good fight of the faith. If we can be what we're supposed to be and pass down a true gospel to the next generation and a holy church uh, to those that come after us, we will be successful. If we can uh, do what we're supposed to do and, and get to a point where we're in glory and we hear, well done, thou good and faithful service, servant, then we are successful. When I come here and I see my wife and my children and worshiping, I understand that every battle, every sacrifice is worthwhile. When I come and see you, I realize every battle is worthwhile. We need to stand up. There's many people who have fought the fight to get us to where we're at today, to get us to the point where our faith matters. And church, I want to encourage you today to stay in the battle. Stay in the battle. There's way too many Christians giving up. And it tears my heart apart to see that. And can I encourage you today to stay in the fight? And can I encourage you to keep on preaching the Word of God? Preaching, preaching it first to yourselves, preaching it to those around you, and stay fighting the fight. Look at what it says in Galatians. Paul reminded him, he says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. He says in that passage, you're going to grow weary. And I know for many Christians, maybe you're tired. You're tired. And I've heard that many times where people say to me, I'm just tired of doing the right thing. And the, the reality is, is, Paul is saying that. He said, you're going to grow weary. You're going to be tired. Suck it up and do what God wants you to do and follow the will of God. Be like Shamgar and stay in the fight. You see, and, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Stand up and do what you're supposed to do. And I, I love when it says there, be immovable. Yeah, too many Christians are whoosh, all over the place. Be immovable. When you feel like quitting, when you say, you know what, I don't think I can take it any longer, take your Bible, open up your Bible, and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. 
And I love what Hebrews chapter 12 says, and I, I skip the first part of the verse when he says, lay aside all the weights. Get rid of all the stuff in your life that is weighing you down. And maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe the reason that you're struggling is because there's too much else in your life. If Shamgar went into battle with his ox goat and he also went into battle with his oxen, I don't think he would have won. But he put aside and he took only what he needed. And so he goes on, he says, let us then, after we've done all that, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then he says, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfect of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to think about something for a moment. Jesus came to earth and he suffered. But the worst possible suffering that Jesus, could, that Jesus faced was something that you and I will never face. You know what that was? The Bible tells us that when Jesus was on the cross, God turned his back on his son. He turned his back on his son. The Bible tells us he will never leave us or forsake us. And you sit here and you say, I, I can't do it anymore. You need to look at Hebrews and say, Jesus already did. He was the founder and he was perfecter of our faith. And he did it with joy. He faced the greatest odds ever encountered by any man. He fought the greatest battle ever waged by any man. He stood his ground. He used his ox goad, which was the old rugged cross, to defeat the works of the devil. What can we take away from this study of Shamgar, even though it's a small little portion of Scripture? What lessons can we glean for our own lives? And let me just suggest a couple things as we close. First of all, God can use anyone, even those who think they're nobodies, for the glory of God. Shamgar fought where he was, when he was, and he did it with, uh, with, for the glory of God. He did not give in to fear. He did not run and hide. Later we're going to look at the story uh, of Gideon. and what, uh, what did he do? He tried to hide. He did not try to hide. He stood his ground and he did what God wanted him to do. He didn't wait for better circumstances. He didn't wait for backup. He stood his ground and he won his victory. Shamgar fought with what he had. We talked about this last week with Ehud. No matter how you, you think your, weak your weapons are, no matter how weak you think you are, put them in the hand of God and watch him do great things. And we see that throughout the Bible. We see uh, Shamgar's ox code. We see uh, Moses' rod. We see David's sling. We see the widow's meal. We see uh, the lunch of the little boy. All those little things that God used in a great way because what? The person was willing to have them in their hand. What has God given you? Use that. And Shamgar stood his ground. He made up his mind he was going to fight. And then he did what? He let God take care of the results. Every time we, uh, he fought, he fought, uh, put his life on the line, but he trusted in God to get him through. Live or die, we need to stand for God and for what is right. But ultimately, Shamgar enjoyed victory. He enjoyed victory. He enjoyed the... The, the smell of victory as he walked off 
the battlefield. And as he walked off the field of battle of victor, and as he looked at, and as I said, I don't know if this happened in a one-day moment or if this happened over time, but as he looked and he saw the, the, the dead bodies around him, and he realized something. God gave me the victory, and God can do the same thing for you. God can honor your faith and, he, and, and give you victory. The questions for you today are, have, has God spoken to you about the matter of fighting for him? Are you standing up today for God? Are you fighting for your home, your family, the lost? And are you, do you have enough faith to get the victory? Let's pray. God, we are thankful for this story of Shamgar as small as it is, Lord, you placed it in. As, we have, as we've noticed throughout all of these stories, Lord, you've placed this in Scripture for a reason. Lord, I, I think you want us to see that this man who had so little did so much. Lord, we live in a world today with there's enemies all over the place. The enemy shouldn't be what's in this church. It should be Satan. Lord, help us to fight Satan. Help us to be able to notice the attacks of Satan, the weapons of Satan, and to bring our own weapon, your word of God, our faithful service, and to attack. Lord, and I pray that you'll help us to be victorious as we rest in you. Lord, you've promised us the victory. You've promised us the victory if we'll continue to endure. Lord, your word tells us at times it's hard, and Lord, maybe there's someone here on the verge of, of, of quitting. Lord, I pray that you will strengthen their arms, strengthen their lives, and help them to follow you. As a church, I pray that you help us to be victorious. Thank you for all you've done in your name. Amen.